We will read again this morning our text of consideration in the Scriptures. And we return to Judges chapter 8, verse 22 through 27, which have been the place of our thoughts and considerations for the past two or three weeks. And so we return there and hopefully, possibly conclude today. In the record of the life of Gideon, we pick it up and take up these words in verse 22. Then the men of Israel said unto Gideon, Rule thou over us, both thou and thy son, and thy son's son also. For thou hast delivered us from the hand of Midian. And Gideon said unto them, I will not rule over you, neither shall my son rule over you. The Lord shall rule over you. And Gideon said unto them, I would desire a request of you that you would give me every man the earrings of his prey. For they had golden earrings because they were Ishmaelites. And they answered, We will willingly give them. And they spread a garment and did cast therein every man the earrings of his prey. The weight of the golden earrings that he requested was a thousand and seven hundred shekels of gold beside ornaments and collars and purple raiment that was on the kings of Midian and beside the chains that were about their camels' necks. And Gideon made an ephod thereof and put it in his city even in Ophrah. And all Israel went thither a-whoring after it, which thing became a snare unto Gideon and to his house. Would you stand with me please again before the message? Sing with me number... 588 588 Author of good to thee we turn thine Alone can all our wants discern. Thy hand alone supply. Oh, let thy love within us dwell. Thy fear our footsteps guide. That love shall vainer loves excel. That fear, oh fear, 
I started a message on last week which I did not complete and on the week before that I had begun an attempt to an exposition of this text and we went attempted to go through some of these all of these verses verse 22 through 27 and I tried to simply lay before your minds the record what exactly happened here We saw how that with great respect and admiration the men of Israel came to Gideon and sought to make him and his sons a perpetual kingship. And he, by the grace of God, in that noble and blessed spirit of his, refused that suggestion and declared boldly that the Lord should reign over Israel. That I'm sure he spoke with all the conviction of his own heart. We watched all of these things, and then we came down to verse 24, and we found him suggesting a request in their mood of benevolence and giving. He asked for things of gold. And in that request, he had no doubt, we find in the record, in his heart, to create for himself an ephod. The garment of the highest priest of Israel standing as he did in the place of God and speaking to Israel, the mind of God, Gideon sought to place himself in that position. Finally, in verse 27, as I said to you then, the record fast forwards 40 years and the sad fruit 
of that decision is summarized in these scalding words that Israel went a-whoring and Gideon was caught in a snare. We looked at those Hebrew words on last week and saw their meaning, the power that's in those words in the original Hebrew, a-whoring and a snare. We looked at all of these and then I took a little journey with you through several commentators, several different Bible scholars, by which I hoped to demonstrate to you that it seemed to be almost the universal consensus of diagnosis of Gideon's error is that he sought by this ephod to place himself personally in the place of the high priest of Israel and engage himself in being a perpetual mediator between Israel and their God in spiritual things Though he turned down the kingship, he readily and boldly claimed for himself the high priesthood. And it is the universal opinion of scholars through the ages that this was in fact his error. I set out from that to give to you lessons from this text. And I will not re-preach that ground, but I simply remind you that in the message I had delivered to you only two. Number one, I gave you this lesson to be learned. In a word, it's simply this, the danger of material prosperity. Gideon was inundated with gifts from Israel. And I said to you, and I'll repeat it today, well deserved, well deserved. Nothing they did was inordinate, well deserved. But I also said to you that he took that prosperity and used it in that which displeased the Lord and dishonored him. And I gave you that blessed quote. One commentator said, there are very few men that can drink a full cup of success without intoxication. His great error. There is a lesson in the danger of prosperity. Not just in money. Not just in material things. In intellectual achievement. In power and rank and status. Anything that you would care to name that would be considered 
humanly speaking, prosperity, it can be a great danger. I gave you a second lesson which I spoke to that only briefly because I have spoken to it so often of late. That is that the whole catalog of a holy life of service may be ruined by one unintentional mistake. A whole catalog of a holy life of service can be ruined by one unintentional mistake. So then we continue today and I give you the remaining lessons which I not not that these are all I have not exhausted this text nor any other text that we have dealt with. I look back often at places we've already passed and I'm grieved at how much I left behind. Had a conversation with a preacher this week out of state and I was told that He did a very thorough and comprehensive study of the book of Romans. Said it took him six sermons to get through the first three chapters. I would that I had that skill, but I haven't. But we've left behind much. I give you that that remains that I have extracted. Lesson number three. A noble purpose, a noble purpose cannot justify an ignoble method. To put it in modern colloquial expression, the end does not justify the means. A noble purpose cannot justify an ignoble method. The end does not justify the means. Poole, in his commentary, had this to say. He said, though Gideon was a good man, and did this with an honest mind, and a desire to set up religion in his own city and family. Yet, here seems to be many sins in it. Number one, there was superstition and will worship. Worshiping God by device of his own, which was frequently and expressly forbidden. Number two, there was presumption in wearing or causing other priests to wear this kind of ephod which was peculiar to the high priest. Number three, there was transgression of a plain command of worshiping God ordinarily at one place and one altar and withdrawing people from this place to his place. Number four, there was making a 
fearful schism or division among the people of Israel. Number five, there was laying a stumbling block or an occasion of superstition or idolatry before a people whom he knew were prone to it. All of this, all of this, says Poole, five at least dangers, five errors, five tragedies, Poole lists here. From this good man, he called him, with an honest mind. Oh, listen, all of this was because this honest mind of this good man failed to seek out and employ only God's method. Only God's method. (laughs) Some of us, some of you rather, my wife and Mr. Gorman, some of you have been reading lately a great deal about the history of modern missions. (laughs) Well, I've thought a lot about that in looking at this lesson in this text. Oh, how many good men with an honest mind set out to do good would have entertained an error because they didn't seek God's counsel in the Word. Someone has wisely said in his zeal for the religious reformation of Israel, He did not sufficiently consider the bearing of the step he had taken. It was a hasty and crude expedient from which greater experience or sage advice or above all, God's Holy Spirit would have saved him had he sought it. Had he asked God for guidance in the matter in getting to look upon himself as a, in a special sense the reintroducer of the Jehovah worship and as the exponent of the mind of Jehovah, he forgot that it was only as he was taught by God that he could persevere and be preserved from error. Of all inventions, says this writer, of all inventions... <laughs> Religious ones are the most carefully scrutinized. And in the background of this assumption, there lay a secret tendency to self-esteem because of his spiritual endowments and character and the great achievements of his past. Pride because of his own humility. What a profound statement. Pride because of his own humility. Is it not a failing that many of us have shared? By this mistake, he sowed the seeds of a grave evil, schism, superstition, and hero worship. Oh! How very wisely do our pedo-baptist friends teach but do not practice that that which is not commanded is forbidden. And a noble purpose 
cannot justify an ignoble method. Dear old Rogers. Hard to read that book, Brother John. Difficult to read, but I thank you for it. Dear old Rogers said, Though Gideon's meaning was otherwise, yet this displeased the Lord which he did, for that he consulted not with him in that strange work which he took in his hand. Therefore we see that it is not enough to have a good intent It is not enough, says Rogers, to have a good intent in that which we do to serve God in, but knowledge must go before out of the Word and warrant and uphold us in our attempts and in all our doings. It's not enough, says Rogers, to have a good intent For the Scripture says, whatsoever is not of faith is sin. And we are happy. We are happy when we do good things, but so that we first know them to be such indeed and not otherwise. For Israel had a zeal, but not according to knowledge. David would have built God in house. Then the which who, who could have gone about a better thing in all of men's judgment. Who could have gone about a better thing than to build God a house? But God reproved him by Nathan. And yet he himself consented to him at first upon the like good intent. Then Samuel, reproving Saul, was fain to answer him and said, Hath the Lord as great pleasure in burnt offerings and sacrifice as if he has should uh, in that his law should be obeyed? Therefore, good intentions, says Rogers, good intentions cannot be accepted of him except they be directed by knowledge. Oh, oh. I say to you this morning that one of the great curses of modern church activity, one of the great churches uh, curses of modern church activity is the wholesale employment of carnal means for holy purposes. This generation has adopted the theory that the means just that the that the end justifies the means. Therefore they employ all manner of unholy things that do God's holy work. And it's a great downfall of modern churches. The divine command said Palmer, blessed Palmer, what great preacher Palmer. He said the divine command, the divine command is the only basis of religious duty. And will worship of every description has uniformly drawn down the expression of divine displeasure with regard to whatsoever partakes of the essential nature of worship. It may be safely affirmed that what is not commanded is virtually forbidden. This constitutes the broad line of distinction between the worship of faith and the offerings of superstition. The worship of faith 
alone partakes of the character of obedience being founded upon the knowledge and recognition of the divine will. Whatsoever is not of faith, whatsoever is not of divine command as its basis is not obedience but sin. Says Paul. And I say to you this morning, we are not left to the creativity of our own imaginations in the things concerning our God and His service. We are not left to our own imaginations. The creativity of our own imaginations in things concerning our God and His service. Lesson number four. From this text, I point your heart to learn this this truth. That which may be a matter of indifference to one may be a dangerous snare to another. Never. You could not convince me nor any of the commentators I studied Never did Gideon himself fall into idolatry. Nor did he intend it for Israel. But theirs was a weakness of which he apparently was not a partaker. That which is a matter of indifference to one man may be a great snare to another. That's why Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 8, But meat commendeth us not to God, for neither if we eat are we the better, neither if we eat not are we the worse. But take heed lest by any means this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to them that are weak. For if any man see thee which hast knowledge sit at meat in the idol's temple, shall not the conscience of him which is weak be emboldened to eat those things which are offered to idols? And through thy knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died? But when ye sin so against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, ye sin against Christ. Wherefore, if meat make any brother to offend, I'll eat no flesh while the world standeth, lest I make my brother to offend. Oh, listen to me. Listen to me. If we offend, Matthew 18, verse 6, if we offend one of these Little ones that believe in me, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and he were drowned in the depths of the sea. If we offend one of these, and so many things, I'll leave the Holy Spirit to preach to you. I don't have a rule book published. Anything in your life that causes another to stumble You need to purge 
your life of it. I don't care how little it affects you. That, in my opinion, is probably the strongest argument ever to be had against the social use of alcohol for believers. There's nothing in the world wrong with alcohol as a chemical. And it has many uses that are very useful. But the social use of alcohol caused many brethren to stumble. Some young believers to stumble deeply. Apply the rule for yourself. May God speak to you, especially in this carnal season of festivity that we are entering in. That which may be a matter of indifference to one may be a dangerous snare to another. I give you lesson number five. Sin always compounds itself. Sin always compounds itself. It moves from small beginnings into great malignity. Oh yes, verse 32. And Gideon the son of Joash died in a good old age. Was buried in the sepulcher of Joash his father in Oprah. Oh yes, verse 32 is sweet in its sound and in the images that it conjures to us. But because of verse 27, there is verse 33. And it came to pass as soon as Gideon was dead that the children of Israel turned again and went a whoring after Balaam and made Baal Berith Berith their God. As soon as Gideon was dead. Why? How could it be? It was just a it was just a small mistake in his life. But I want to tell you, sin always compounds itself and it moves from small beginnings into great malignity. It always does that. Sin always does that. Oh, 40 years later, 40 years later, we have verse 33. I always quote it. I've quoted it so many times. That great poem Dr. Lee Robinson quoted, this is the price I pay for just one righteous day. Years of regret and grief and sorrow without relief suffered I will, my friend, suffered until the end, until the grave shall give relief. Small is the thing I bought. Small was the thing at best. Small was the debt I thought. But oh God, the interest. The interest. Sin always compounds itself. Oh, listen to me. Could I give you another word? Study. There's a word in verse 27 that 
really caught my heart. The extent of it. The extent of it. He put therefore this thing. They went a whoring after it. They gave the earrings willingly. And Gideon made an ephod. And Israel went thither a whoring after the thing. The word the thing. There is that word thing. What a thing. (laughs) What a thing. The Hebrew word is dalbor, translated thing in other places. Strong and other linguists that I studied tell us that in the Old Testament text, it is made to refer to many things. Let me just give you so that you can capture the thought that gripped my heart. In Strong's alone, this word makes reference to a book, a business, a care, a cause, a council, a deed, a decree, a disease, a duty, an effect, an errand, a manner, a matter. A portion, a power, a promise, a provision, a purpose. It's made to refer to, in some places, a question, a reason, a report. <laughs> it's made to refer to a sign, a song, a task, a word, a work. And I cut it off there. I could go on and on and on. This particular word is used to refer to so many, many things in the Old Testament. I could easily say to you, this word may be applied to anything. Anything. Do you see what I'm trying to say to you? Do you see the connection with the use of this word? Anything may be a thing that draws men's hearts away from God. Anything. Anything may be used of the devil to become a snare Anything in league with our carnal hearts, no matter how small and benign its beginnings may be, anything may draw us away from God. And how often have we found it so? Oh, how often have I found it so? It's not one specific, just one thing. It seems to be in my heart 
one thing after another thing. It's always something. Something trying to draw my heart away from the Lord. Which thing? Verse 27. Gideon made an ephod thereof and put it in his city, even in Ophrah. And all Israel went thither, whoring after it. Which thing became a snare? That thing. Can I just say this to your heart this morning? Especially, and I, I, I don't mean to be harping on it, but we're going into this pagan, idolatrous season when things are the big promotion. Can I just say to you, guard your heart from a thing. It could be anything. Which thing, verse 27, became a snare to Gideon? Brethren, anything may be a snare to you. Guard your heart. Anything may be a snare when its use is not sanctified by the law of God. But now may I draw our hearts to yet another lesson. One more, just one more. One that I pray will lift us above these waters of despair and set our feet on the solid ground of faith. May I recommend to your consideration this lesson. God's sheep will persevere. Oh, oh, hallelujah. Gideon, while failing grievously in one thing, yet, yet, never fell away into perdition. Scripture clearly tells us and the Holy Spirit would have us to record it. Look again at the wording of verse 32. And Gideon, the son of Joash, died in a good old age and was buried in the sepulcher of Joash, his father, in Ophrah. Gideon died at a good old age and was buried in the sepulcher of his father. Oh, (laughs) I just read that in your hearing. What a glorious, what a glorious patriarchal formula is in this text. Said one commentator, these things that we've been talking about and I've been drawing lessons from for you. These things are undoubtedly blots on Gideon's fame, but, but oh, on the other hand, his pious moderation in refusing the hereditary kingdom offered to him, the persistent goodness which he showed to Israel to his life's end 
as we may safely conclude from the last verse of the chapter. The good government by which He gave rest to the land for 40 years and the continued repression of Baal worship as long as He lived are all evidences that He maintained His integrity before God and never, never, never forfeited His claim to be a servant of God. And it is in entire agreement with this view that we read these words, He died in a good old age and was buried in the sepulcher of His fathers. Hallelujah. Oh! These are words, said the commentator, by which the sacred historian evidently means to set before us the picture of one who, under God's favor, was happy in his death as he was in his life. Nor can we doubt for a moment what it was which held him up on the slippery path of worldly greatness. Oh, listen to me. I wouldn't draw out a bag of rocks to throw at Gideon if I were you. The psalmist said in Psalm 130 and verse 3, If thou, Lord, if thou shouldst mark iniquity, oh Lord, who shall stand? Who shall stand? The only way we do not fall, this commentator said, we don't doubt for a moment he was held up by grace on the slippery path of worldly greatness. And I say to you, my brethren, the only thing that holds us up is the grace of God. He views us in Christ. Any other view would leave us desolate. This commentator said, if God left him, if God left him as he did Hezekiah, quote, to try him that he might know all that was in his heart. If God left him to try him to know what was all in his heart, he did not leave him or forsake him wholly. The faith in God which had carried him down to the Midianite camp 40 years earlier, Though it may have been dimmed, it was never extinct. The communion with God, if it was less fresh and less constant, was never wholly interrupted. His belief that God is and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him, once so deeply graven on His heart and confirmed by His experience, never we may be fair and sure never departed from Him. Then this commentator says these blessed words, faint yet pursuing may probably describe the warfare of his soul at the most unfavorable times in his life. Faint yet pursuing. Hallelujah. 
Blessed be God, He's not left us to ourselves. He won't leave us to ourselves. We will persevere. Faint, yet pursuing. Surely, these were words fitting for His great marker. Says this commentator, for ourselves, for ourselves, let us rise from the contemplation of Gideon's career with the firm determination to shake off those things that may be a snare to us and not to slacken our pace in pursuing those things which are above because Paul said in Ephesians 1 and 6, being confident, confident, confident of this very thing. Hallelujah! Confident of this very thing that the God, He that has begun a good work in you, will perform it till the day of Jesus Christ. Oh, we've all made horrible mistakes. But by His grace, we'll pursue. Faint as we may be under the load of it, we will pursue. And we'll die one day in a good old age and be buried in the sepulchre of our fathers. What fathers? The fathers of faith. Those that died embracing Him by faith. Oh, it was a blessed word that that little prophet Micah said. Chapter 7. Micah chapter 7 and verse 7. I'll close with this. Therefore I will look unto the Lord I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Rejoice not against me, O mine enemy. When I fall, I shall rise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord shall be a light to me. Oh, I bless the Lord for this lesson. Dear old Gideon, the son of Joash died in a good old age and was buried in the sepulcher of Joash's father. And Israel, Israel did not turn to idols while he lived. What a blessed word is that. Stand with me, please, and let's sing in closing together. Number 589, with my whole heart I've sought thy faith. Oh, let me never stray from thy commands, O God of grace, nor tread the sinner's way. 589.
peace. Oh, let me never stray from thy commands, O God of grace, nor tread the sinner's way. Thy word I've heed within my heart to keep my conscience clean. And an everlasting guard from every rising sin. I'm a companion of the saints who fear and love the Lord. My sorrows ride, my nature faints when men transgress thy my heart with sacred reverence hears the threatenings of thy word. My flesh with holy trembling fears the judgments of the Lord. My God Thy holy law is my delight.